I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to the Tesla Inc. Q4 2018 Financial Results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. I would like to introduce your host for today's call. Hey, it's me. I'm your host for today's call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi. I am your host, and we are going to have a, a good time listening to Tesla's 2018 fourth quarter results. Now I didn't, I cut it up. We're not going to listen to the whole thing because there was a lot of Elon being very professional and CEO like, and not giving away the Kings to the kingdom. And there was a lot of things that they weren't willing to talk about on the, on the call, which in normal cases and, you know, past calls, they might be very willing to talk about that stuff. So um, I'm not going to say it was boring because we still got some nuggets out of it. But it wasn't as exciting as past uh, investors' calls, so hopefully we'll go back to the crazy times. We'll see. Let's talk about some things that I like. Things that I like is are you. If you listen to this show for any length of time, um, something will happen in my job, and I'll be like, oh, man, this sucks. And I'll relay it to you, and I'll say, hey, keep an eye out for X, Y, or Z. In this case please use crosswalks. Um, I'm not going to go into any details and I'm sure you could probably figure out if you really wanted to, but uh, crosswalks are very important. If you just walk across the street, you're likely to get hit by a car and you're likely to die. If you do get hit by a car, you could die. So um, that's a big thing. And I realize that's kind of hypocritical because in my job, I wear a blue uniform and have shiny orange vest. And I literally stop traffic as I walk out into the middle of the street, like I own the place, um, which is ridiculous. But um, for everybody, everybody, including myself, let's use crosswalks. Um, Let's all be safe because that's really important. Another thing is don't text and drive. I've been noticing this when you sit in a fire truck, you're up high. So you can see everything that uh, that people are doing in their cars. And a lot of people are on their phones and not paying attention to what they should be doing. And it's scary, uh, honestly. And I'm, you know, I am susceptible to it. I try very hard. I put my phone face down um, away from me on the passenger seat so that I'm not tempted to just reach over and grab it. Because honest to goodness, uh, we had a police officer here in Arizona get hit while he was on, I think it was a traffic stop or maybe he was helping somebody. I can't remember exactly the whole story, 
Um, but he was hit by a distracted driver. The person on, was on his phone, either texting or doing whatever else you do on your phone while you drive. And that police officer is now dead, and he's a very young guy. So, uh, yeah, so be careful. Uh, one of the things that I would like to start doing is promoting the things that you, you guys think are important on this show. So I'm very much into giving back. So you guys listen to me. I really appreciate that. But I would like to give back to you folks. So I know that a lot of you are involved in EV clubs throughout the the world, actually. We've got people in the UK, um, Canada, um, you know, Sacramento's a big place. LA is a big place in the United States for EV clubs. Phoenix is actually pretty big. So because of that, if you have an event and you would like me to promote that event, I actually have a pretty decent reach. I don't have a fantastic reach like some of the other bigger podcasts, but I have a pretty decent reach around the world. So if you would like to promote your event or your club or whatever, send me an email. Now, here's the thing. I like to keep this show PG. I have a very open uh, libertarian brain when it comes to like what people want to do. I'm fine with as long as it doesn't hurt anybody and it's not against the law. However, if you want to promote your BDSM you know, podcast or whatever, I'm not going to do that here. I, I say go with God and have fun and do what you want to do, but it's just not something I'm going to promote here. So as long as it's PG and it kind of falls in, however loosely falls under the uh, uh, purview of what I do here, I'm happy to promote that. And if you have a podcast that's similar to my podcast, I'll put you in my show notes. I have Dale's podcast in my show notes right now. If you went and looked, you'll see his show, his show there with a link to it. So, um, yeah, I'd like to give back a little bit uh, more than I do. And I think that's it. I want to thank all the Patreon supporters uh, for making... Uh, right now, this month, we were actually able to pay for the hosting just with the Patreon supporters' uh, uh, pay, uh, pledges. So thank you very much for that. That's amazing. We're getting um, getting up there. Uh, makes me very happy. And um, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt, and uh, you can pledge there. All the money goes back into the show. None of the money goes into my pocket for daily living expenses. I have a job. I actually have a job and I drive Lyft and my wife has a job. So we're not looking for money to live off of or buy a car off of. We're just looking to help support the show. So I want to thank everybody who does currently support the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, moving along. One of the things that I'm very bad at is somebody sends me an email. Um, I always respond always. Um, if I don't resend the email, cause somehow I missed you, but I love receiving emails from folks and I did get an email from John. So I was talking about the Ford, uh, F-150. I was told, uh, it was at a party that, uh, the Ford F-150 Ford had an F-150 that was an electric. So I talked about that like two weeks ago, I think. And, um, John sent in this, um, little email saying that VW and I'm going to, Basically, I'm not going to read this word for word. I'll just hit the high points. But VW created a prototype diesel-electric hybrid that was based off the three-cylinder Polo engine. Um, It got about 100 miles to the gallon, uh, used uh, the diesel to charge the batteries. 
And the article said that the U.S. automakers blocked it because they knew that it would hurt both the auto and the petroleum industry's profits. Um, now, I want to say that I had heard about that, and um, only because that's my ego talking. I probably hadn't. Um, there's lots of stories like that go that go around, but that's really interesting. And you know what? I believe it, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that uh, something like that was blocked because, quite frankly, um, look what they're doing to Tesla now and other companies, but mostly Tesla in terms of the dealers and um, fighting with Tesla. And for a long time, a lot of the automakers were saying, oh, Tesla, flash in the pan, they're nothing. And then now all of a sudden you got these auto uh, executives that are praising Elon Musk and Tesla and saying how much they need to get on board with the electric vehicle revolution. So I, it does not surprise me at all, but I did want to make sure that I gave uh, John plenty of credit for that because that was actually a very interesting article. Let's see. So the, the investor letter, I have not had actually had the time to go through the investor letter. As soon as I got, <clears throat> almost going to cough there one second. <laughs> oh, thank God for that cough button. Um, <laughs> anyway, I haven't had time to go through the investor letter. I basically, I got my kids ready, uh, with their homework and everything, got dinner on and my wife came home and I just started working on this. So I haven't really had time to go through the investor letter, but I plan on doing that. I know there's, there's some, um, interesting things in there. Um, but the rest of today is all about the investor call. So this is really long. This is an 11 minute, and uh, 39 second clip. So we're just going to sit and listen to it. It's Elon, uh, talking about, um, it's his opening remarks. And when we're done with it, I'll just kind of go kind of summarize up and give some thoughts on some things. I didn't, uh, like I said, or I think I said, I, I've started this podcast over so many times. I don't know what I did and didn't say on this particular recording, but, um, I didn't record every, I didn't pull every clip because a lot of it was very boring. So um, I'm going to add a little bit of extra information based off of little tidbits that I pulled from those questions, but didn't necessarily warrant playing a whole clip because a lot of it was, like I said, dry and very boring. So let's start off with Elon's opening remarks. Last year was the, definitely the most challenging year in Tesla history, uh, but also the most successful. Uh, thanks to the incredible work of the Tesla team, Model 3 became the best-selling premium vehicle in the U.S. for 2018. Um, and in fact, uh, when considering uh, battery electric vehicles, uh, we, Tesla achieved an 80% market share of U.S. sales in, in the last year. I think this point is perhaps not well appreciated. All other electric vehicles combined were 20% of sales in the U.S. in, 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 in last year. So. But that's, I think that's, that's not bad. Um, uh, we, we also delivered la uh, almost as many vehicles last year as we did in, in all prior years combined, which is a tremendous achievement by the, by the Tesla team. Um, the, if you track a Tesla vehicle production year over year, cumulative um, sales and deliveries year over year, it is about the cleanest exponential I've ever seen. 
Uh, we've basically almost doubled our fleet it, it with in, in every year. You know, every year we make as many cars as we did in all prior years. So this is a, a very unusual thing to see for, especially for a large, complex manufactured object. I think it, I think it may be the fastest that it's a, it's, that a, a complex manufactured object is like a car has grown in history, or at least I'm not aware of anything that is faster. Martin, are you? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Model T was a little bit slower, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, and we expect that exponential to continue. Um, so with the deliveries this year being, even if, even in the face of, if, if, if there's a global recession, even if there's a global recession, we're expecting deliveries this, this year to be about 50% higher than last year. Um, and it, you know, there's, and there's, it could be, could be a lot more than that. But even, even with tough economic times, to see 50% growth is pretty nutty. But with Q4, we achieved gap profitability for the second quarter for the first time in company history, and we increased our cash on hand by more than $700 million, even after paying debt, uh, ending the year with a total of $3.7 billion in cash. Uh, this means we have enough cash to settle our convertible bond that much will mature in March. Uh, in addition, our operating margin, margin remains strong at 5.7%. Um, operating margins in the fourth quarter are usually lower in the automotive industry, but this was not the case for Tesla. Um, I, I think 2019 is going to be an amazing year for Tesla. Uh, as I mentioned, we're expecting to increase uh, sales by 50%. Um, perhaps could, could could be a lot more than 50%, but I think 50% is a, a very reasonable number. But that's crazy growth for the automotive industry. Uh, I want to note that one of our major priorities this quarter is improving service operations. Um, so really, from my standpoint, when I think about say what my priorities are this quarter, it's improving service in North America. That's that's number one, um, and uh, we've got some very exciting initiatives we're going to uh, roll out with that with regard to that. Um, we're going to get cars to China and Europe, uh, and, and make sure that we we have good logistics uh, for the whole delivery process from uh, factory gate to to the, to the customer. That's obviously pretty far from California to get to Europe uh, and China, and then get to get the car to customers. So we're work, working every aspect of that. Just exchange, um, and I, I think we've. I think it's. I think it's going to be good. Um, I, you know, I would say at this point I'm optimistic about being profitable in Q1. Uh, not not by a lot, but I'm. I'm optimistic about being profitable in Q1. Um, and 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 for all quarters going forward. So, uh, let's see, uh, we've, we've opened uh, 27 new store and service locations, uh, bringing out our total locations worldwide to 378, and we increased our mobile service fleet to 411 vehicles. Mobile service fleet is something we can scale up very rapidly uh, because we don't need uh, bricks and mortar. Uh, we, we, we can get, get more vehicles, 
empower people and deploy deploy rapidly. It also actually results in higher customer satisfaction because we we can actually send one of our service vans to your work or home and fix the car um, without you having to bring it into the service center or do any paperwork or anything like that. It's it's really seamless, invisible. The customers love it. Um, and we're also increasing the functionality of the Tesla app uh, for service, so that instead of having to make an appointment you know, to call and make an appointment, you can just open your Tesla app. Uh, say you want to make a service appointment, um, and it lists the top ten most frequently requested service items, and you can, with a couple taps, you've made your service appointment. Um, and we're going to make it easier for the car to be picked up and dropped off as well. So if you want, if you prefer not to come into the service center at all. You can just uh, request the, that the car be uh, picked up and delivered. Um, uh, something that will be so, so that's already been rolled out. It's had a, had a big improvement in customer satisfaction. They rolled out two or three weeks ago. Um, but the next thing we want to add is if the, if a car detects something wrong, like a flat tire uh, or a drive unit failure, that before the car has even come to a halt. Uh, there is a tow truck and a service loader on the way. So the car has already notified Tesla Emergency Services, and, the, and, and a, a service loader, a tow truck, are on their way before your car has even come to a stop. Uh, this will be immense in improving uh, customer happiness. Um, it literally will just call it, and, and you'll have to tap the center screen to cancel it. So you can cancel it if you want. We just have to. It's like automatically going to happen. Let's request cancel. Um, we're, we're also improving uh, parts distribution. So uh, I think we made a, a strategic error in the past about not having service parts located at our service centers. Uh, we had them in parts distribution warehouses, which basically meant it was impossible to have a fast turnaround on servicing a car. Because uh, the car would come in, then the parts would be requested, they come to the service center, is this would basically, even for a very simple repair, could take days. So we're not, we're going to move to stocking all common parts at the service centers, um, so that it's possible to, in principle, have uh, you know, get get your car serviced in 20 minutes or 15 minutes, even if it's a simple matter. Um, I mean, it should be like Jiffy Loop, you know, like eight minutes or whatever, eight minutes. Um, it should be like lightning fast. Um, but, but, but that, in order to do that, we have to have the parts located at, at our service centers. Uh, yeah, we also, it's going to make sense for our service centers to do uh, basic body work. Or essentially, if, if all we need to do is re replace a front or rear fascia, it, it makes sense to just pre-stock the front rear fascia in the uh, common colors. So unless you have an unusual color, we can literally replace your fascia in 15, 20 minutes. And, and there's, there's none of this like weeks at a body shop stuff. In terms of new products, um, with, with Model Y, we've uh, completed uh, engineering of and signed a Model Y, um, and the parts are the, the tooling is going out for uh, production Model Y. Three quarters of the Model Y is common with the Model Three, so it's a much lower capex per vehicle than the Model Three, um, and the risk is also quite low. Um, this is in contrast to Model S versus Model X, where the theory was, Model X, we, we just, it's, it's, I would, 
consider Model X to be like the, the sort of like the Fabergé egg of cars. Um, it's it's a, fan, it's a it's an incredible vehicle, um, and probably one probably nothing like it will ever be made again, <laughs> and maybe it shouldn't. <laughs> but but it is it is a, it is a work of art. It's a special work of art. But the commonality with the Model S is is limited. It was only about maybe thirty percent in common with the Model S, whereas uh, Model Y is uh, I think seventy six percent or something like that in common with the Model Three, um, and uh, we're most likely going to put Model Y production uh, right next to, right, in fact, as part of um, our main gigafactory in Nevada. So it'll just be right there. Batteries and power trains will come out and go straight into the vehicle. Um, so that, that that's, um, also reduces our risk of execution um, and uh, reduces the cost of having to transfer parts from uh, California to Nevada. Um, so it's not it's not a for sure thing, but it's it's quite likely and that's our default plan. Um, I, I expect Model Y will probably be the Tomato Model Y will be maybe fifty percent higher than Model Three, could be even double. Um, the as I understand it, the midsize SUV segment is the worldwide is the most popular type of vehicle. Um, so we'll probably see higher volume of Y than three. Um, and then earlier this month, we started construction of, of Gigafactory Shanghai. And by the end of this year, we expect to be producing Model 3s uh, using a complete vehicle production line. Um, that's a you know, body paint, final assembly, uh, general assembly, um, uh, and, uh, and module production. So it, it basically would be it's moving extremely fast. I get like daily updates of uh, progress uh, of the Shanghai Gigafactory, um, and uh, it, this, this factory is going to go up like lightning. So we do feel uh, quite confident at this point, uh, at least for the factors that are in our control, that we can achieve volume production in Shanghai by the end of the year. Um, and and uh, and that's. That should allow us to get to the 10,000 vehicles a week rate, or very close to it by the end of the year. Okay, so let's uh, take that and break it down a little bit. Uh, first of all, Elon started off a little bit scattered, but I think he focused in the middle here, or towards the uh, beginning, he started to focus. But I wasn't really sure where he was going at first. Um, the Model 3 is the best-selling premium vehicle in 2018. That's fantastic. Um, in 2019, they expect to sell between 350 and 500,000 Model 3s. That's their goal. That's pretty insane. Um, uh, let's see. Tesla's bringing production costs down for the Model 3, even though they're still improving the car. That wasn't mentioned in his opening statements, but that was mentioned earlier, later in the, the call. Uh, Tesla has 80% of the battery-powered vehicle market. And that's amazing, and I expect that that number will probably stay at 80% or right around there for 2019, but uh, 2020, it's probably not. They're going to start chipping away. The other manufacturers are going to start chipping away at that number. Um, they're going to pay off their federal loan, which is amazing. I mean, any debt uh, that they can pay off, the you know that's extra money they put in their pocket. Um, as far as the priorities go... I like to hear this, um, improving service operations. 
the mobile service, pick up and drop off. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, that's going to get that right there. will get my wife to buy a car. She hates going to the dealership to have repairs done on the vehicles. And I'm going to be honest. I do too. It sucks. Uh, but if you can have somebody come to the house and work in the garage, we have a nice big garage. We can, uh, let them hang out in and work on the car. And if it needed to go into the service center, then somebody could pick it up and drop it off. Amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, if the car detects a problem, a tow truck and a service loaner are on the way. That's also amazing. (laughs) Um, uh, that seems excessive and expensive, but what do I know? Um, parts availability at the service center. This was intriguing. You would have thought that they would have parts at the service center that only makes sense. But no, Elon said they were being really silly as far as their parts go. Um, but this will lower costs significantly for Tesla and lower repair times for customers, which is awesome. Elon told a little story about uh, the parts made in China are then sent to the warehouse in New Jersey. And then when the service centers in China need them, they're sent back to China for um, the service centers to use. So they're going to start streamlining that process, which is great. I'm happy to hear about the Tesla app updates. And um, all of these things, I think, are really appealing to me, but most of all appealing to uh, my wife because these are kind of some of those not kind of, these are some of those, um, pain points, you know, when you're like, when we got the kids, they got, you know, their martial arts or their swim or their school or whatever, got to work. When do we fit in getting the car into the service center? So that sounds, uh, amazing to me. Let's see. Profitable all quarters going forward is unlikely, but hopefully they'll continue to be profitable. I think they made something like 410 million. Like I said, I didn't really read the letter. I just kind of breezed through it a little bit. And they didn't mention it on the call. But still, you know, a nice, healthy profit. Uh, Let's see. Stationary storage is not something he mentioned in this um, intro, but they talked about it a little bit later on. Um, Elon thinks it's expected to grow twice as fast as the automotive side of things. Stationary storage, the battery packs and um, power walls. They're setting production records every month, and they think it's going to be a gigantic business. Model Y. Uh, So before I talk about the Model Y, he he said inside the uh, later on again, Tesla truck is going to be announced sometime this summer, maybe. So uh, just kind of keep that in the back of your head. That's the only information we have on the Tesla truck. Uh, Three quarter, let's see, three quarters of the Model Y will share uh, parts with the Model 3. That's great. It means we'll get our Model Y sooner. Will likely be produced in Nevada. Um, And volume production by the end of next year. I'm, I'm a little bit suspect on that, but even if it's at 2021, I'm, I'm still happy. He said Model X was a Fabergé egg of vehicles and probably won't be repeated. I think that's an amazing quote. Um, It is a beautiful car. In the area that I live in, there's a ton of Model Xs rolling around. Um, Not as many as the Model S or the Model 3, but there's still a significant number of Model Xs. And uh, every time I look at those cars, especially if I'm like at the grocery store and one's parked next to me and somebody's loading 
their groceries in. I'm like, man, that is so nice to get to that that second seat. Now the third row seat, it looks kind of tight to me, but the those second row uh, captain seats, they look pretty amazing. Um, let's see here. Sorry, I had to cough. Um, the Gigafactory in Shanghai, uh, to Elon said this was fundamental to Tesla's success. Elon is getting daily updates uh, for the from the Shanghai team. The this is not something that he mentioned in the um, opening statements, but he d- did mention later that they're on a fifty year land lease with the Chinese government. So Tesla owns the equipment, but I want to know who owns the building now. We have some family in Thailand, and from what I understand, that if you, like in Bangkok, and I could be completely wrong on this, so if you know better, please let me know. But in Bangkok, if you own the land, what usually happens is you own the land, the skyscrapers or whatever buildings, they pay you money, and after a preset uh, number of years, that building becomes yours. So um, is that the same Does that happen in China? Is that also something that happens in China? I don't know. I don't even know if I fully understood that's the way it was happening in Thailand, but that's how I understand it. Um, you know, does that building at the end of 50 years just go back to the Chinese government if they don't renew the lease? Um, but that's 50 years. That's a problem after, I mean, I'll be 99, 94, I'll be dead. So... That's not my problem or anybody else's that's in my age group. Uh, producing Model 3s by the end of the year at volume um, it with Shanghai. So he mentioned that Shanghai is going to help them get to the 10,000 uh, Model 3 goal a, a week. Initially, that 10,000 goal was supposed to be just for Fremont. So that's an interesting change right there. And moving on. So we got some questions. And I didn't... I, I cut a lot of things out, so um, the people who ask the question, you might not hear their names. Um, these are just questions that were sent in. These were not uh, investors on the call. But I was trying to cut out a lot of the unnecessary uh, stuff so that we can move on and get this uh, podcast done in a quick manner. But uh, the first one is uh, self-driving um, autopilot update. So let's go ahead and listen to that. How are you feeling about demand right now across the product line? Is 500 to 700 units, uh, 700,000 units uh, at 42,000 ASP still a realistic annual target for Model 3, even considering Model Y um, and its impact on demand? And uh, do you continue to see SMX demand of 100,000 annually? I mean, my, my best guess, All right, this is just I'm going to pause this real quick because I skipped past question number one. I don't even know where question number one is. Uh, what will demand be for Tesla's vehicles? So let's start that over. What will demand be for Texas, Tesla's vehicles uh, going forward 2019? How are you feeling about demand right now across the product line? Is 500 to 700 units... Uh, 700,000 units uh, at 42,000 ASP still a realistic annual target for Model 3, even considering Model Y um, and its impact on demand? And uh, do you continue to see SMX demand of 100,000 annually? 
I mean, my, my best guess, this is just a guess, my best guess for demand of Model 3 worldwide is something, it, 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 in a strong economy, is something on the order of seven or 800,000 units a year. That's my best guess for demand of Model 3 in a strong economy. Um, if, uh, if, if, if the economy goes into a recession, then I think that, that could be something on the 40% less. But I think even in a recession, um, worldwide demand is still something on the order of 500,000 uh, for Model 3. Um, for SNX, uh, you know, we, we, we did um, eliminate the 75 kilo hour, kilo hour version of SNX and uh, to provide more differentiation relative to three and then why that's coming out. Um, I think we could see a slight decline in total uh, vehicles, but I think the uh, net cash flow from SNX is likely to be very similar. So probably no, no major change in net cash flow for SNX. Okay, so he talks a little bit about why they got rid of the 75 kilowatt hour battery pack, which is something we talked about in this show as far as adding some uh, space between the prices of the Model 3 and the Model S. The other thing is that there's a lot of talk about recession in this podcast or in this uh, earnings call. And uh, so a lot of folks, I guess, think we're going to go into a recession or that's a possibility. I was not aware of that, Um, but I don't really follow these things all that close. And um, but still, 700,000 Model 3s in a strong economy and 300 or 500,000 in a uh, recession. That's not bad. That's that's still pretty good numbers for the, the vehicle. Now, this next one, this next one is going to be about uh, an update on autonomous driving. I hope. Is it? Is it? Let's see. Okay. Uh, the next question uh, from Alex is, uh, can you please share an update on full self-driving and Tesla network development? When will customers start to see fi- uh, full self-driving features? What's the best case timeline for Tesla network to go live? Sure. Well, we already have um, we already have full self-driving uh, capability on highway. So from highway on ramp to highway exit, including passing cars and uh, going from one highway interchange to another, the full self-driving capability is is there. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll be uh, pushing an update that will um, allow the option of, of removing stalk confirm in, in markets where regula- regula- regulators approve it, which we believe that will be the case in the U.S., for example. Um, and over time, we think probably all regulators will approve it. Uh, but um, we, we kept the stalk confirm there just to make sure that, uh, that, that we, we took care of like of, of any, any strange corner cases. Um, and it's really quite sublime if you have stalk confirm off and like the car goes from higher on ramp, passes slower cars, uh, you know, change it, t- takes an takes an interchange and then takes the exit and then comes to a stop after the exit. So that's it's really quite profound to have that experience. Um, then the the next part of full self driving would really be to, to um, is, is traffic lights is hard. So stop stop streets are pretty easy because um, you can essentially geocode those uh, and um, and it's easy to recognize stop signs. Uh, traffic lights and, and intersections be the next really really tricky one. 
um, and then uh, navigating complex parking lots and like uh, so, so like a, if you're underground in a in a mall parking lot with a lot of traffic and, and pedestrians and that's on multiple levels you know that that kind of thing is is, is where things get tricky with the release of of um, enhanced or advanced summon uh, you'll see the first indications of the car being able to navigate complex parking lots uh, and that's also coming up fairly soon, probably next month. Um, and in, in development mode, uh, the car does all of the things that I just mentioned in development mode. So it re recognizes uh, traffic lights and stop signs and, um, and you can basically has all, all the functionality in development mode. It's really just a question of getting the reliability of, of recognizing traffic lights to several nines, like you know, so it's I guess like I don't know, 98% good right now, but we need it to be like 99.999, you know, re really extremely reliable. Um, uh, so I mean, in, in a nutshell, when, when do we think the, the capability will be there for? Uh, when it will be? When will we think it's safe for full self-driving? It's probably towards the end of this year, um, and then it's up to regulators to decide uh, when they want to approve that. Okay, so I drove a Model 3 last week, test drove the mid-range Model 3, and it is an amazing car. I was very impressed with it. Um, one of the things we did is we got on the freeway, and on the 101, it's a, called the Loop 101 here in Arizona, in Phoenix, because it makes a loop. So there's some pretty good corners, uh, turns, I guess I should say, not corners. And, uh, you know, I, the person who was taking me out for their drive, he's like, okay, put it in self-driving mode. And he shows me how to do that. And he's like, okay, just hover your hands over the wheel, but don't touch the wheel. And then just let the car drive. And so we did that. And he goes, okay, speed up. And he shows me how to speed up by flipping the dial on the uh, steering wheel. And we're getting closer to the car in front of us, but because the Tesla has, was set to be so many uh, seconds away from the car in front of us, it wouldn't go faster, even though I was making it, uh, I was pushing the button or flipping the dial so that it would go faster, which is a little freaky if I'm being honest with you. Another thing that he had me do is there was a car on our left. He's like, put your blinker on. And there, and we were. He should showed me right before this automatic lane change, where you just put your blinker on, and it will move into the lane that it needs to be. So there's a car immediately on our left in our blind spot, and he says, "Put your blinker on." So I did. So I'm like, eh, "Whatever." He, this guy, obviously does this every day. I'm gonna trust him. And uh, yeah, put blinker on, and the car would not uh, go put in go into the. Uh, uh, other lanes because that it noticed that there was a big huge truck that was going to run us over and probably kill me right there so i was very impressed now in the in the parking lot part of things now i i've been a member of the waymo self-driving uh, ride program for a while i haven't taken that many rides to be honest with you but it makes me car sick like riding in, the, in their vans makes me car sick and I was going to, I had um, called them up and uh, I needed to go to Fry's Electronics. And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to take my first ride. So it takes me to Fry's Electronics. There's an entrance to Fry's Electronics. It moves past that. And I was like, okay, there's another entrance. 
It moves past the second entrance to Fry's Electronics, turns down the road, goes down the side road for a, a long ways, does a complete roundabout, goes because we have roundabouts in Arizona, goes around the roundabout and comes back and eventually gets back on the road, which is, I think, baseline where Fry's is, and it gets me to the parking lot. But it was like a long, um, not very pleasant ride. It was very jerky. Um, the driver had to take over several times. Now keep in mind, this is not freeway driving. This is actually street driving, which I'm sure autopilot might, you know, it probably reacts different on street driving than it does on freeway driving, but it was still, I have to say driving in the model three was a much more positive experience. So, um, and that this, that had to do with the parking lot thing that Elon was talking about. Cause I clearly the Waymo van had not spent a lot of time in the Fry's parking lot. So they were going through and uh, it was just a little confused, which is fine. It just took a little bit longer and I was really car sick, which I don't ever get car sick. I sit backwards or I used to, I drive now, but I used to sit backwards in a fire truck for 15 years, something like that. um, Before I started driving, maybe not 15 12 before I started driving and all of a sudden I started getting sick in this Waymo van. All right. Next up is, um, Elon addresses the model S and model X and switching to 2170 cells. And then he kind of just shuts the rest of the question down. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next question, which is, uh, if and when will Tesla switch model S and X to 2170 battery cells, what percent range improvement do you expect? Uh, we have no plans to switch SNX to 2170 and can't comment on uh, future product developments. Okay, so I guess I was wrong. Last week when I said it, I was completely wrong. Um, this next one is the, and I'm not going to comment on this too much, but uh, this gentleman wants to know what does Waymo have that Tesla doesn't and why is autonomy important to Tesla? So we've kind of heard the answer before, but I think it's important to hear it again. Uh, good afternoon. The question I have is related to Waymo and the autonomous driving opportunity. Morgan Stanley recently valued Waymo at $175 billion, and my question is, what do they have <laughs> that you don't have? And uh, separately, so what do they have that you don't have? And then separately, uh, how important is autonomy to the Tesla story longer term? Is this nice to have? Is it really about EVs and renewable energy, or is the autonomy kind of one of the foundational parts of the story longer term? The, the fundamental goodness of Tesla, that, you know, like so, the, so like the why of Tesla, the relevance, what, what's the point of Tesla, comes down to two things: acceleration of sustainable energy and autonomy. Now, acceleration of sustainable energy is absolutely fundamental because this is an existential risk for humanity. Um, so obviously that is by far and away the most important thing. Um, but also very important is autonomy. Uh, this has the potential to save millions of lives, uh, tens of millions of, of serious permanent injuries, um, and give people their time back so that they don't have to drive. They can, you know, if, if you're on the roads, you can spend doing time doing things that you enjoy instead of in, in terrible traffic. So it's extremely important. Um, we feel confident about our technical strategy, um, and um, but I think we have an advantage that no one else has, which is that we have at this point 
something on the order of 300,000 vehicles on the roads with a, with a, a 360 degree camera sensor suite, uh, radar, ultrasonics, uh, always connected, uh, uploads, uh, essentially video clips with the customer's permission uh, uh, when there's an intervention. So effectively, we have a massive, massive training fleet. Our uh, the, the miles of training that we have, if, if you added everyone else up combined, they're probably 5%, I'm being generous, of the miles that Tesla has. Um, and this, this difference is increasing. A year from now, we'll probably, you know, if you go, certainly if you go 18 months from now, we'll probably have a million vehicles on the road with, uh, that, that are, and, and every time the customers drive the car, they're training the, the, the system to be better. I, I'm just not sure it, how anyone competes with that. Okay, so um, at the end there, it kind of seems like Elon's a little frustrated, or maybe just not frustrated, but uh, like he's been hounding at this again and again and again and again, over and over and over again. Um, how important these things are and people continue answering, asking the same questions, which, you know, I can, I can understand why that would be frustrating. Um, this next one is a little information on demand for vehicles and then whether or not the mid-sized, uh, or mid-range is waning in sales. Our next question comes from Colin Langley with UBS. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, just to follow up on the, the comments around you said about seven hundred to 800000 you think is the normal demand. I mean, any color on what price that you're expecting that to be? Because I think there's a lot of chatter that demand is already weakened of the mid-range, at least, already in January. I don't know if that's true as well. Yeah, I mean, the... It's important. Like there, there are multiple factors at play here. Um, first of all, there's there's a lot of seasonality to automotive purchases. Um, most people do not buy a new car in in the middle of a blizzard. Um, so January and February tend to be seasonally uh, low, and then it picks up significantly around the uh, early to mid March timeframe. Um, then in in the U.S., we also had a, a pull forward uh, of demand for from the um, the tax credit uh, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, so there's all there's, there's those factors, but um, I feel very confident about Model 3 demand. Uh, the customer happiness level with the car is incredible. I mean, I think probably the highest of any car in the world right now, I would think. Um, and I can tell you, can tell, like, basically nobody wants to sell a car. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. But the, the target price point is... I think in the past you mentioned mid forty thousand. Is that where we're thinking, or is or uh, I mean, long term range? You know, this is really just a guess. So it's not like a you know I have some huge crystal ball or something. But um, at at high at volume, I would expect this is a, a totally a guess. <laughs> I want to be clear. Um, probably an average of forty two thousand dollars. Probably at that at that volume level. I'm not certain about it. Okay. And just as a follow-up, um, you commented that you expect China to be online by the end of the year, um, but there's a lot of articles that the battery supplier, you're looking at different battery suppliers still. I mean, do you have a battery supplier? Because it seems kind of close to when production is supposed to start. 
well, there, there's really three things. There's, there's the, the, the cell, the module, and the pack. Uh, we will be making the module and the pack. So it's really just a question of cell supply. Um, and uh, um, you know, we can essentially use any high energy density 2170 uh, chemistry. Um, uh, and we expect to be a combination of cells produced uh, at our gigafactory in Nevada, uh, cells produced in Japan, and cells produced locally in China. Um, and we feel confident of uh, sufficient supply to hit the 3,000 units a week. Okay. So here's the thing uh, that I thought was important in that uh, little piece there. Uh, the mid-range, I don't see how the, the sales would be waning, uh, but maybe that's just my bias because that's the oh, closest thing that I could afford in terms of a Tesla is that mid-range right now that they're selling. But the other thing that, that was interesting is Tesla's still making the module in the pack. They just need the cells supplied, and that, they could be used that from several different – that can be sourced from several different suppliers. So that's that's actually great for Tesla. They're not relying on one supplier to make sure these things get done. And they're going to pull a lot from you know Giga in Nevada and maybe Japan and China – so I'm the I don't know I'm I think this is, is a good thing I had similar um, similar thoughts as the the gentleman who asked the question but overall I think this will end up being uh, good for Tesla and make things uh, make downtime much less because they're actually um, just reliant on one part of the this the product which is the cell for the most part. Okay, let's see here. Question number six. Some uh, questions about the standard range affordable Model 3. Um, I have a feeling some of you are going to be disappointed. But let's listen to it. Our next question comes from Emmanuel Rossner with Deutsche Bank. Hi, good evening, everybody. Um, first, I wanted to ask you about the, um, the short-range Model 3. Um, what are your latest thoughts in terms of uh, timing of, uh, of introduction? I think at some point uh, you had in mind to do it, uh, you know, in the, maybe the first half of this year. And just to clarify, you know, when you sort of um, talking about the outlook for 2019, you know, uh, the number of deliveries uh, up 50%, and then the uh, margin target for Model 3 to get to 25%, does that assume that you're introducing a lower range, uh, uh, the short range Model 3 at some point during the year? Well, we call it the, call it the standard range. Um, but, but, but it's maybe short by Tesla standards, but it's long range by uh, other manufacturer standards. Uh, so, the, the, we, yeah, we expect to introduce the standard range Model 3, um, you know, some, sometime probably in the middle of this year uh, is, is a rough, rough guess. Um, and, uh, you know, we're working hard to improve our costs of production, uh, our overhead costs or fixed costs, just costs in general. I think the this, this past year, while it's extremely difficult, has driven us to what to a, a high level of uh, financial discipline. I think we were way smarter about how we spend money and we're getting better with each passing week. Okay, so I like to hear that they're being smarter with their money because honestly, it seemed like they were just like... <coughs> Sorry, I'm on the verge of coughing at any moment. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it seems like they they were just very willy-nilly with the money, like very free, even though they were losing it at a, an alarming rate. Um, so I'm glad to see that they're being a little bit more fis- fiscally responsible. In terms of the standard range, uh, more affordable Model 3, uh, I think we heard at the last call that they were thinking like April when that would be released. And now it's looking more like June, maybe July. So the time frame slipped a little bit, which is a little disappointing. Um, and hopefully they can, um, you know, stick to that mid 2019, whatever that may be, June, July, August. Hopefully they'll be able to fit, uh, stick to that time frame. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Europe and uh, Chinese orders and how they're going in this next clip here. We're almost done, actually. Not not too far away. The order so far, there's some numbers that get thrown around, but you guys are... Here, I don't think that was at the beginning. Let's start again. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Tamburino with Goldman Sachs. Oh, great. Thanks for uh, taking our questions tonight. Um, first thing I want to just understand is on what you're seeing from European orders and China orders so far. There's some numbers that get thrown around, but you guys are obviously taking a look at it. How are the, that order profile shaping up relative to what you saw in the U.S. with the launch of the three? I mean, it, it, seems, it seems good. Uh, I mean, I mean we're, our issue actually with Europe and China is how do we get the cars made and on a boat? Um, at such that it reaches customers before end of quarter, and we don't have a massive number of cars uh, on the water. That's our biggest challenge. It's not. It's not demand. It's how do we get the cars there uh, fast enough? So, so uh, like orders above the. I think I've seen like twenty thousand order levels for Europe and single digit thousands for China. It's, it's better than that, Elon. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. The the uh, and we're not even really trying. I should point out. Like it's it's you know we um we're, we're, our factory is like right now only making cars for China and Europe. Uh, that's that's all it's doing. Um, for with respect to Model Three, um, and, uh, and and our whole focus is okay. How do we get those cars made? Get them on a ship as fast as possible. Get the ship as fast as possible to. Uh, Zabruja in Zabruja in, um, in Belgium, then get them to, or to Drammen uh, in Norway and get those cars to customers uh, as fast as possible. We get them to China as fast as possible. And, and China, we're also, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with the trade negotiations. So it's very important to get those cars, especially to China, as soon as possible. Um, you know, we hope the trade negotiations go well, but it's, it's not clear. Um, but we need to get them there while there's sort of de facto, sort of, sort of a truce uh, on the, on the tariff war. Um, and, um, the demand is really not, not, uh, not one of the things we're thinking about. What I like here is, uh, even though I really like off the hinge Elon, this is a reserved Elon. That's not making, uh, promises or giving up too much information, which on, my side of things may be a little bit frustrating, but on Tesla's side of things is probably very um, happy uh, as far as the executives go, because he's kind of reeling it in a little bit, but still giving a little bit of information there. Um, I know that it, and I think he's going to talk about it here. I don't know if I cut it out or not, uh, but I'm just going to say it anyway. They're right now they are going, uh, they're just running 
the Model 3 line, those cars are just going to Europe and China. That's it. They're not running any cars for the United States as far as uh, I understand it. So obviously they're trying to fill that demand, but you can only fit so many cars on a container ship. You know, you can only ship, you can, you can only fit so many cars on there. So it's going to take time to get those cars over there. All right. Question number eight. Will Tesla uh, get costs down on the Model 3? What's more important, volume or profitability? And Elon talks a little bit about electricity versus the cost of fuel and um, built-in costs of the car. Some of these things I agree with, some of them I won't. But we'll talk about it on the other end of this clip. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tony Sakanaji with Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, you. You've talked repeatedly about the need to drive down costs, uh, which in turn drives the elasticity of demand for, for cars. And, and I'm wondering if you can talk about how much of the price differential between, you know, the $50,000 Model 3 and the $35,000 Model 3 uh, is structural, meaning that powertrain costs for EVs are just structurally higher than they are for uh, internal combustion engine cars and where you think that difference is today and when that is no longer a factor. So is, you know, or maybe said another way, um, is the bigger driver in getting to lower costs and lower and more affordability on the Model 3 is it really around the powertrain and getting that at parity or is it everything else about, you know, Tesla not being as efficient as other manufacturers that is, you know, causing the, the higher price right now. And I have a follow-up please. It's, it's both. It's both yes, the vehicle both. and both the powertrain. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I split my time half and half between the Gigafactory and here, and there's opportunities in both. Yeah. But I think the bigger point is that, uh, yeah, there's cost reduction <laughs> opportunities out, but the bigger point is it's not that our cost is higher than a gas-powered um, uh, or an internal combustion engine. I, I think what, what Tony meant is with the battery pack, as in battery pack as well as the powertrain, together are more yeah. expensive than, than an engine. That's true. Yeah. This is, and this and true. How, how big do you think that delta is today? And, and when, you know, it's, do you think of it as being kind of ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000 for that pack plus powertrain for an electric vehicle and maybe five or six for an internal combustion engine car? And is that sort of the order of magnitude? And, and where do you see those getting much more aligned, just sort of given the laws of, of where you think sell and pack costs are going. Well, the um, the thing that's important, important to bear in mind is that the, the cost of electricity is uh, quite a bit less than the cost of gasoline, especially in uh, in Europe or in, in, in California or China, basically almost everywhere except, uh, uh, say, the um, middle of the, of the United States. The cost of gasoline is, is very expensive and electricity is far cheaper. Um, the, so, so that 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 factors into the cost of ownership pretty significantly, and it's you know on, typically on the order of fifty to one hundred dollars um, a month, uh, depending upon how how much somebody drives. Um, so that that's a very important thing to to consider uh, for an electric car versus a gasoline car. Um, the uh, you know that that that's it in terms of the initial cost of 
of acquisition, I, I think it's probably you know, uh, the, 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 you know this is this is a uh, this is just off the top of my head, not a calculated number. Probably on the order of seven k, but trending towards four or five k. Okay. Just off the top of my head. Okay. And um, and and as you think about two thousand and nineteen, you you talked about sort of scenarios for demand and how you plan to you know roll out the intermediate range and then ultimately the standard range. Um, what is if you do have to make a trade off on volume or profitability um, during the course of the year, meaning to get the volume you need or you think you can deliver, you have to go to lower margins or vice versa um, where's the trade off is 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 are units produced most important to you or uh, is delivering the 25% gross margin more important? So if you have a chance to deliver 450 or 500,000 cars, but there'll be more standard editions and gross margins will end the year at 20%, is that the, are you willing to make that trade-off? You know, my, my guess is it ends up being um, sort of about the, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other, um, where, you know, if, if, if there's a given amount of free cash flow, you can sort of either decide to achieve that with a smaller production or a smaller volume of cars or uh, at a higher margin or large volume of cars at a smaller margin. I think we are towards the, the second. Um, we'd rather make uh, more cars at a lower margin. Um, but I think it's more or less a flat trade. So this is something I'm really happy to hear is that Tesla's willing to make uh, lower margin and more cars because that's good for us, the customer. Um, it's true that the cost of electricity is cheaper than the cost of the car, but Tesla's cars are very expensive. So let's not forget that they are very expensive. Um, and you're paying for that little extra up front, even though they try to take that, uh, and it annoys me a little bit, but when they try to say, oh, well, the actual cost of ownership is X, but the if you click on the pay cash part on their website, you find out, no, 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 it's, it's much, much more. Um, it's like they're kind of hiding the information a little bit. Um, but yeah, so uh, overall, I think, you know, good, Good stuff from uh, Tesla and the group. And that was a long one. So this next one's going to be very short. And uh, it, it has to do with battery costs. And I just put it in here because I thought it was funny. Maybe talk about um, your expectations uh, with the Panasonic Toyota JV and how it might um, impact you. Was this something that uh, you were made aware of? I talked directly with uh, Suga-san about this, the head of Panasonic. And uh, he has assured me that this will have no impact on Tesla. Okay, so that wasn't that funny. The reason, the thing that was funny, and and I didn't put it in there, obviously, because I'm, you know, what the thing is funny is I'm an idiot. But uh, they, he basically shut him down on the battery cost. He's like, we're not going to talk about that. That's proprietary, and that was as far as that went. Uh, this, <laughs> this next one, I'm on the verge of coffee at any second. This has been a very weird podcast for me. I got the cough button on at all times. So if it, if I come out of this uh, each clip and it sounds a little weird and like I'm a little discombobulated, it's because I've been coughing 
and there's no oxygen going to my brain. So I apologize. Um, here we go. This is going to tie. He's going to talk about uh, Model Three leasing and when that's going to happen, and the percentage of Model S and X uh, owners that lease. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dan Galvis with Wolf Research. Hey guys, thanks a lot. Um, do you plan to offer a U.S. lease product for Model Three in the U.S.? Um, when can we expect it? Uh, and can you talk about what percentage of S and X have historically been leased in the U.S.? Um, well, we've been reluctant to introduce the leasing on Model Three because of, how, of its effect on GAAP financials. Um, so it is worth noting that our demand to date is with, with zero leasing. So obviously, leasing is a way to improve demand, um, but, but it, it has, uh, you know, it, it makes our financials look worse. So we've like, uh, you know, we've not wanted to introduce that right away. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll introduce it sometime later this year, probably. Um, what, I'm not sure what the percentage of lease is for SNX right now. Uh, it's around 20%, low 20s, and yeah. it stayed stable um, at that level for many, many quarters, which is which feels like the, na- the natural demand because yeah. we don't do subvention or artificially pump up. Yeah, our, our, exactly. Our leases are legit. Um, the, the, it's usually it's like a small business tax write-off. You know, is is important for the uh, for leasing. So. Oh, I have a small business. It happens to be this podcast. I don't make any money on it, but I could use a tax write-off. That'd be nice. Um, yeah. As a general rule, I don't like leasing cars just because I don't like paying all that money and then giving the car back. It makes me feel like I'm being cheated. I don't know if I really am or if I'm not, but it makes me feel that way. So this final one. And it's the final final is the the closing remarks. And really, it's just uh, and you can hear I think Elon's breaking up a little bit, like, you know, getting a little emotional. Uh, Deepak is retiring, but he's still going to serve as an advisor on the board. And um, they're going to put in Zach Kirkhorn and they just kind of um, end it with that. So I'll leave that there and I'll, I'll we'll come back after that and we'll say our goodbyes. So, so uh, Deepak uh, uh, is uh, well. I'll let you make the announcement, but uh, Deepak is uh, is going to be retiring uh, again. <laughs> uh, yeah, from from Tesla. Yeah. Um, uh, Deepak, I think it's it's now been we first started Tesla about eleven years ago, right? Been uh, close to that. Yes. Yeah, almost eleven years. Um, uh, thank you for tr- your tremendous contribution to to Tesla. Um, and um, it's, it's announcing retirement. Retirement will not be immediate, uh, but Deepak will continue to be at uh, Tesla for a few more months, um, and and uh, will continue to serve as a as a senior advisor to uh, Tesla well, for for probably years years to come, hopefully. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, we thought long long and hard about uh, who the right person is to. Um, Take over from from Deepak, uh, and, and that's uh, Zach. Um, and uh, Zach, Zach has been with Tesla now nine nine years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Zach, uh, uh, you know, management and technology at Orton undergrad, um, and then worked at Tesla, and then spent a couple of years at uh, Harvard Business School, which I actually don't think was necessary, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you told me that when I came back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, Zach's incredibly talented. It's made a huge contribution to Tesla over the years, um, and also very well-known quality to the whole team. It has the respect of the whole team. Um, and uh, Zach, I don't know if you'd like to say a few words. Or? Yeah, I will. Okay. Or, or uh, do you want to be about your savings? Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. No. Uh, first of all, um, uh, Elon, thank you very much for the opportunity uh, for me uh, to be here and be here again a second time. Uh, I've um, learned a lot from you, and I've been always inspired by you. Um, and uh, I've been uh, also very inspired by uh, the team uh, at Tesla, who are um, incredibly brilliant, um, very passionate, and just amazingly perceived. The best team I could imagine. So thank you, uh, everybody, for that. Uh, there is no good time to make this change. Uh, we, we felt still this was a good time. It's a new chapter, new year. Tesla has had two great quarters of profitability, cash flow. It's on a really solid foundation. And um, I feel really good about Zach uh, taking over as the CFO. He's, uh, he's proven himself with his many years of experience and many tough challenges that he's worked on. And Really excited uh, to have um, Zach take on this role, and I'll be here to support him and make sure we are all successful um, as a company. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Deepak. Thank you, Elon. Um, so my name is Zach Kirkhorn. Uh, just a, a brief background on myself. So I joined Tesla uh, just under nine years ago. We're a super small company with a lot of potential ahead of us, uh, and I was attracted to the mission and the vision of the company. Um, throughout that time, I've been deep in the operations of every major program of the company, from the Roadster to Model S and X, Model 3, scaling our energy business, uh, and more things to come, which we've talked about on the call. Uh, I feel we're starting 2019 with a very strong financial foundation. We have enough cash to continue launching new programs, developing new technologies, and we're able to service upcoming debt obligations with our forecasted cash flows. My focus alongside the talented and amazingly passionate team at Tesla is to ensure we continue the terrific momentum on cost management and operational efficiency, which will enable us uh, more, uh, enable more access to our products around the world, which is key to achieving the mission of the company. Um, on a personal note, uh, Deepak, a huge thank you to you for your leadership, mentorship, and support, um, and very much looking forward to discussing our progress on future earnings calls. Great. Great. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you in three months. Yes, guys. Okay, so that's the end. Uh, I want to say, and I could be wrong, and correct me if I am, but I want to say T Deepak uh, came back about uh, when I, right around the time I started doing this podcast because uh, I remember it was one of the first earnings calls that uh, they said he was coming back. And I never thought that he was going to stay because he seems like he's a guy that wants to be retired. Um, but obviously they pulled Tesla, um, you know, they pulled together, made decisions and got Tesla profitable. And now it's time for him to move on, which makes complete and total sense. I don't think there's anything to read in there, but that's it. If you happen to be living on, well, first of all, if you happen to listen to this whole monstrosity podcast, thank you very much for listening and getting to the end. I really appreciate it. Um, if you live in an area that is freezing cold, 
I hope you stay warm and I'll be thinking of you when I'm wearing my light sweater at 60 some degrees outside in Phoenix. But you'll be thinking of me when it's 120 here and you're comfortable wherever you live. But uh, thanks everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone has a wonderful and safe, please be safe, uh, week. Uh, I'm going to release this podcast a little bit early. I'll release it as soon as I get it edited. And then um, I'll see you next Friday. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. There we go. Right, right about there. Thanks everybody. Have a great weekend and a week. Have a great week and a weekend. I'll see you in nine days. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.